My name is Harrison Wheeler, and this is Technically Speaking. This show is produced in collaboration with Studio Pod Media. For information on our episodes, articles, and professional community, head to technicallyspeakinghw.com today. Hey, everybody. My name is Harrison Wheeler, and welcome to another episode of Technically Speaking. Today, my guest is David Silva. Welcome to the show, David. He's a co-founder of Tequiera, which has over 18,000 members and allies in their network. And their online Slack community has over 12,000 members. That's pretty big. You have like a small community, a small city, if you will. How are you doing? I'm doing great. The weather in New York is finally getting more warm and I really like it like that. This week has been perfect. Warm and, and humid. Yeah, a little bit. I live by the waterfront, so it's like very windy and fresh. Oh, nice. Are you in Brooklyn, Manhattan? Where are you at? Jersey City. Oh, Jersey City. Okay, so you got a nice little view of Manhattan then. Yeah. Awesome. Well, again, thank you for coming on the show. I just want to get a few icebreakers before we get it started to get to know you a little bit better. And, and, you know, to kind of loosen up things. So one of the questions I love to ask is, what are you currently obsessed with? Mm, so I'm going back to Burning Man this year after the event was officially canceled for two years because of the pandemic. And this year I'm going with a group of friends that are kind of like very well known at Burning Man. Okay. So it's kind of like a very different experience than going with like my, I used to go before with a small group of friends from San Francisco. So with this group of friends, we've been working on this already for like two months and there's like three more months ahead of work and, and we're like obsessing over it right now. We're doing parties to fundraise, organizing our storage containers, designing all the kitchen and food that we're going to have for the week. And it's a lot of work, but it's awesome. And, and I also love like just being with my friends doing it. So we're all obsessing over it. Yeah. So are you going to do like the two full weeks? Are you going to do like the whole thing? Yeah, we're going for like two and a half weeks almost. Yeah. So for listeners that don't know what Burning Man is, can you give them a description, quick description? Burning Man, the event in uh, the desert, is a city that we built for a week. For one week out of the year, this is the third largest city on Nevada. And basically, well, many of us arrive a few uh, days before that uh, to start building out the infrastructure. And then all the regular participants start arriving on Sunday. And then in a week, we built a city that has gyms, yoga studios, churches, restaurants, bars, art. It's a real city. And every participant, everybody gets to like, uh, like we encourage participation. So everybody that comes brings their own art or brings their own new personality costumes, whatever they want to do for the weekend. It's very, very interesting experience. Do you have a costume already like figured out? Kind of. I, I mostly go for comfort. So I actually wear like, I bring like a few different outfits and I, I wear whatever feels more comfortable depending on the weather. But not sweatpants because you're in the middle of the desert. Yeah. And it's not like a real desert with like sand, like in the beach. It's like alkaline dust that gets everywhere. It's, it's a little uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 It's surviving is the most difficult part at Burning Man. It takes a lot of work too, but it's also part of the fun, I guess, because uh, it means like a lot of the people that go are very committed and they've been working for it a long time. So. It creates something that I kind of like, like believe a lot in my community philosophy, which is like participatory culture and making sure that 
everybody in the community or at your events or in your, you know, or at work feels like empower and ownership. And then like Burning Man creates that. It's like a good example of that. That's awesome. Is that a chirp in the background? What is that? Yeah, I'm a uh, bird sitting. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's a little bird and uh, it's just that sad all day. Does that happen often? Are you a frequent bird sitter? No, this is my first time bird sitting. Sometimes I just take care of a rabbit from a friend. It's nice to have animals here, but uh, without the commitment. Yeah. It's like being a, you know, an aunt or an uncle, right? You don't have to take the kid home with you. Yeah. <laughs> It's really nice. It's like you get company, but I don't have to like worry when I'm traveling or anything like that. Exactly. All right. Next question. In two words, how would people describe your personality? I think a lot of my friends will say something like, I don't know, bubbly and perhaps weird or like unique, something like that. Why why is that? I, I tend to stand out a lot. I like being authentic and I like being very, very friendly. So and I try to adapt very well to like different circumstances. So if I'm feeling good and I'm feeling okay, I, I tend to be very uh, friendly and adaptive. Kind of seems like that. I'm also like kind of obnoxious. It stands out a lot. <laughs> obnoxious. A little bit. Why obnoxious? I mean, in like the process of like recovery or like feeling better about myself and all that, I, I realized that. There was a lot that I was kind of like holding back all of my life because of the fear of like being hurt mm. or so that you learn from like trauma. And now that I feel better, I feel like in a way being obnoxious is kind of healthy for me, but also it helps me kind of like find other people that want to be encouraged to be like that and creates a space where they feel more just safe being coming out or talking to you about stuff that they might not feel comfortable talking to other people about. Yeah, sort of like banging on the door, right? Yeah, it's like when you enter a room, then people know. It creates a certain space where people feel like a lot more comfortable telling you certain things or even talking to each other about certain stuff. If you can create that space, kind of like of mediation, of really changing the vibe of the conversation, then people feel even more comfortable addressing things between them. It can be very helpful. It can be very useful. Yeah. So David, you're already segueing into my last icebreaker. Mm -hmm. And it's what is something that people don't talk about enough? For me, the thing is like people are always talking about things, but they never talk about the underlying reason of what they are talking about that thing. So in software engineering and in management and in coaching and everything, you like in anything that has to do with dealing with people, you learn that sometimes people are asking for something, but that's not mean that that's what they need. That thing that they're asking for might be conditioned by their previous fears or previous knowledge or like previous jobs or something like that. So somebody looking a lot into like probably alcohol or drugs or, or unhealthy friendships or abusive relationships, or like sometimes what they really need is to like really be honest with themselves and figure out what is it that's driving them and have those conversations. And I feel like people don't talk a lot about that. Like people are always trying to avoid conflict and in avoiding conflict, things start bubbling up and becoming worse over time. Yeah. Do you think like the past two years, people have become better at that? Or is it, we talk about it, but people still aren't necessarily doing that? It really depends on what you have found. Because these past two years have become a little more radicalizing as by everything. If you happen to have found these past two years, a yoga community or something like that, maybe you become a little better at that. But maybe that yoga community is one of those toxic positivity communities that are like hoping to like say that you're supposed to like repress your anger and be happy all the time and whatnot. And then 
that also becomes like unhealthy. So, it, but then there's other people that found Buddhism or hiking or now living on the road. So, like, I kind of feel like in general, no, people haven't gotten better at it. <laughs> but it depends on the community. Like, I am all my friends that I have now and all the people that I spend time now are people that are very good at it and that are constantly working on that. And we try to, uh, one day one friend was super angry at me for something I did. And she was like very young and she was like yelling at me and she's like, David, I'm very angry at you, but know that I love you. Okay. Just, this is going to pass. I'm like, yeah, I know. And I was like hugging her while she was angry at me. Yeah. And it was kind of like that level of friendships that I'm like trying to find. And it's spreading very fast around the circle of friends that we're in. Cause the more you are like that, the friends of your friends, the environment out, and then they are like, Oh, I want more of that. And then it starts spreading. So yeah, but it, it can spread very fast, but I haven't seen it spread as fast enough. I feel, especially when I still go online for like, you know, old habits or whatever you see shit on Twitter. And it's like, where are you talking like that to somebody? And, you know, and I feel that it's just bad. Like people are just afraid of talking about conflict, avoiding it. And, and it comes off in like super weird ways. Yeah. I mean, on the other side of any of those tough conversations is usually growth, right? Yeah. So people in effect are afraid of growing. There's something that people call growth mindset. Yeah. I like that framework. It sounds very cheesy, but I feel like it's very real. Like the people that are usually feeling miserable and complaining all the time are usually the people that feel that the resources in the world are constrained. And usually the people with a growth mindset that are usually trying to find how to help others, how to be kind, how to like improve and create a nicer environment and place for each other are happier. I stopped being involved with politics recently because it was just driving me crazy. And then I found a group of people that are like, well, instead of talking all the time about politics, let's talk more about kindness and compassion and art and play and fun and liberations. And those things to me has been like, to me has been like a lot more entertaining and it feels like it's more effective than all the screaming at people that capitalism or whatever. Yeah. And politics is divisive in nature, one group versus the next which isn't necessarily conducive to any of the things we've been talking about. Yeah, and sometimes people are so much more busy with the strategies that they forget that they're like actual human beings that are suffering. While you're like arguing about percentages or whether or not they should communicate this way, there's homeless people being harassed by cops and there's schools being underfunded and bridges falling apart, etc. And I feel like the politics are distracting us from the actual reality of the world. Yeah. We'll get into some of that a little bit later. So let's get into you. So you were born in Colombia. You're in New York right now. Give the listeners a quick background on who David is. So I grew up in Cali, Colombia, which you probably heard about if you know of Narcos. We're very famous for Narcos and for salsa, the music. And I grew up when Pablo Escobar was at war with the Cali cartels. It was kind of like a little wacky growing up. So I grew up there. Then when I was like 14, my parents moved to Bogota, which is the capital of Colombia. And it was a bigger city, which was super interesting because my parents, they always instilled in us kind of like education. We always have big libraries at home and space for painting and doing art. And they got us a computer when we were very young. And since I was like 14, they would let us take the bus along and stuff like that. So when we moved to a big city, it was great. I used to go out to museums watch movies and stuff like that. And I wanted to be an artist. So when I finished high school, I went to art school in Bogota. And I couldn't graduate because my parents couldn't afford to pay for the rest of it. And then I was like, I'm not going to go into debt for it. So I went to study 
on Israel when you're Jewish, you can just go to Israel. They pay for your flights and whatever. So I went to Israel for a little while. The birthright thing, right? Birthright is one of the programs. In Colombia, there was another one from a Colombia because birthright is only for, I think, U.S. people. Oh, uh, okay. They have different names. And this one was for religious people. The condition was that if I went on this program, I had to study religion. And I was like, I don't care because I'm a curious person and learning whatever is learning whatever. So I had a period of life that I was studying in like a seminary, <laughs> learning how to be a rabbi. And it was actually very fun. But eventually I kind of got bored of it. I moved back. Why was it fun? Because <laughs> you're kind of like just doing what you like for like all day. You're in the library for like 10, 14 hours a day with friends talking about whatever you're talking about. And I mean, I was very into the content of all these books. I still am. Like, I still read them. I don't practice the religion, but I read a lot about the ethics of it, especially like the mysticism and the creation and the values and history. I kind of really like it a lot. And I still read a lot of that. And it was just really fun. Plus, I mean, it was free in a way. So it was not fancy at all. Like the food and everything was like whatever. But it was kind of fun. And it was a good period of life. Now I can just do whatever. You have to like work and... (laughs) have a job and credit cards and adulting adulting it's like yeah after that after i got tired of all of that when i realized okay i kind of want to get a job and start living my life and eventually move out and have my own apartment etc i started working as a software engineer with a friend and then i moved to san francisco in 2013 because i wanted to be like in silicon valley i figured i wanted to move out of colombia and be in the u.s and go to Silicon Valley. So I moved to Silicon Valley in 2013 and I was working for startups there. And then I came to New York in 2017, five years ago. Wow. And it's been fun. I think New York is going to be my hub for a while because out of all the places I live or visited, it's pretty fantastic. Why has it been fantastic? <laughs> it's just, there's so much stuff going on all the time. It's pretty great. I live in Jersey City and uh, it's technically the most diverse city in the country. I remember when I was living on the V area, there was not even like Colombian restaurants. Here you have Uruguayan restaurants, Venezuelans, Salvadorians, and you get like more nuanced, the little different Latino cuisines, but not just Latino, also like Ethiopian foods, and that's really nice. Sure. What's up, everybody? It's Harrison again. I'm sure if you haven't heard by now, I just released the Technically Speaking Product Design Glossary. It's 118 need-to-know terms centered around the ins and out of user experience design. The best part about it is that it's a free download. Head on over to technicallyspeakinghw.com or our Instagram for more information. With the engineering stuff, were you kind of self-taught? You said you mentioned you started with a friend. How did you get into all that? Oh, I started programming when I was a kid because my parents got me a computer when I was 10. Ah, okay. It was very weird at the time because it was like 1998 or something like that. But my mom happened to use a computer at work and my uncle happened to use a computer at work and they thought, oh, this thing seems like it's the future. We should buy one for the little kids. Visionaries. Yeah. So they got us one. It was very rare. People from my school will come to like my apartment and see a computer or whatever. When I was learning how to use a computer back then also, like I don't know if you remember Windows 3.1, Windows 95. Oh, yeah. It's not like today that you just click and everything just kind of works. Programming was like you had to learn a little bit of coding to be able to use your computer. So I got very into that. I started learning Lingo and a few other programming languages and Visual Basic. And so I used to code since I was a kid just for as a hobby. Visual Basic. Wow. Taking it back. Yeah. Flash was my favorite. You could do like super complicated games so easily. Now I feel like that's impossible. Were you big into like ActionScript? Yeah. Oh, wow. 
I used to do like animations. My art school was very cool in that we had um, classes of digital art too. This was like a non-programmable kind of thing, but I remember using like Hyper Studio to do simple animations. For me, that was like, yeah, that was the moment where I was like, this is pretty dope. When I was saying it, I felt weird because probably all these schools have computers. But back in my days, when I went to college, most schools did not have computers at all. And some schools discouraged you from using computers. Discourage? Yeah, because they were like, that's for lazy people or whatever. Like, Oh, yeah, yeah. You have to learn how to edit pictures manually on the on the black room, stuff like that. Oh, or like having to properly do your citations because you could only do scholarly articles. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, you had to use like Arial point twelve. EBSCO host. That was the worst. Yeah, I'm glad that time has passed. Now we're just like Team Wikipedia. Or they would like make you like sometimes deliver your essays handwritten because handwriting was important for some reason. <laughs> yeah, just as a disclaimer, I'm really terrible. My hand cramps if I have to write anything, especially if I'm writing in cursive. So my handwriting regular sentence case is shot. So I have to write in all caps now. I feel like I just do like a mix of whatever comes out and shoot for the hope for the best. Yeah. We kind of talked about your, your come up. So just to kind of book in that, you've got your own consulting company right now. What would you say is just kind of like the biggest challenge on your come up? Well, I think because I'm mostly like freelancing or referring people to other people. And I think to me, the networking and business it's it's kind of difficult. Like I'm very good at maybe making friends or like having, you know, having casual chats with people at bars or stuff like that. But I'm still not very good at talking business. Says the person that started a club. But uh, no, but it's like even with the Kiria, like a lot of the problems that I had and shortcomings and things that I did not see coming, a lot of them had to do with money and business and stuff like that. Especially because I tend to be like more on the trusting side and I feel like in matters to make it like actionable advice for the listeners. It makes a huge difference when you find a team of people that protect you and have your best interests at heart and you can trust them and you can let them know what your weaknesses are. And you don't have to make them your business partner. They can like help you every now and then. If you have a friend, you can be like, hey, Sharon, I'm trying to get this client to sign with me, but I'm still struggling to talk about money because I don't feel super confident yet to talk about that. Do you have 20 minutes to pretend that you're my sales representative and talk to them? Or can you help me draft an email to explain what I want to them? So maybe I send over email. And that's something that I have actually done. Like I have friends that help me look over my texts or emails and stuff like that to help me sound more assertive or more businessy because I'm so kind of like friendly. Sometimes people misunderstand that and take advantage of you or they don't like don't want to pay you the same or the negotiations just drag for a while or stuff like that. Or they don't think that you're like, a senior professional because senior professionals are supposed to wear ties or whatever. Yeah. Is that something that you're still experiencing doing freelance work? Yeah, even as freelance. It really depends on like, I try to avoid certain types of companies now because something that I have learned over the years is that uh, either you separate your work persona from your normal persona and then you're living as two people and then you start driving yourself crazy or your work persona starts influencing your normal persona and then you start becoming like a boring, joyless person. There's work, even if you're like a very strong person, work changes. And I guess I realized that kind of late. I thought that because I was so 
confident or strong or whatever and immigrant and resilient, like I can survive any work environment. But I realized late that there were like many workplaces that I was at that were hurting me. And I think as a freelancer, what I have been allowed to do or like what I've been tried to do and or if I try to like find a full time job in the future, what I'm trying to do is find workplaces of people that I can be genuine with and, and trusting and they're not gonna like make fun of me for this or like underestimate me because I dress a certain way or something like that. And I think sometimes, especially, you know, us, maybe like people of color or immigrants or, or people like of marginalized communities, sometimes we feel that we deserve the shitty clients that we have or that, you know, it's just normal when they scream at you or, or it's normal when they pay you 90 days late. You know, we kind of like internalize that a lot and then it becomes really hard. But I feel like it, it's worth to make the leap and try and, and find like the space that like really values you, even if you have to take a temporary break or a pay cut or, or find whatever you need to do sometimes to like allow you the time to change what surrounds you. It's really worth it because we keep sometimes telling ourselves, okay, next year I will actually quit this job and have saved enough or something like that. But because we're living with social happiness all the time, sometimes it's that next year never arrives. Yeah. The weight of everything else almost creates this point where you're not willing to take the risk yeah, and sometimes it's really, and especially in like this white culture that tells us that healing is personal, that you have to take baths and sound healing and whatnot, and and it forgets that healing is a communal experience and that it's really hard to heal yourself if you know if you're surrounded by these systemic problems that we have. You can't really heal yourself if you're like constantly being harassed by your boss or triggered by a coworker or surrounded by people that make fun of you or don't support you. So it takes a combination of finding, like, like I mean, it's, it's obviously a very personal and difficult thing for different people to be able to find new groups of friends or find new jobs and stuff like that. It's kind of like leaving an abusive relationship sometimes and it's kind of the amount of work that it takes, but I do want to like encourage whoever is feeling that life will be better, that yes, you can. And you can like do it by changing your circumstances. Because I feel like a lot of people are being told that you can change your mindset, but I don't think, you know, changing your mindset is definitely not enough. You also need to change the people that surround you. It's really interesting when you, you hear all this research about the communities that live a lot longer that are healthier. They're not drinking juice cleanses and they're not on extreme diets. It's They've got a community that has been sticking together through all ages and all steps of the stages of their lives. I guess a lot of Latino, or, 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 I don't know, in, in, in some other communities, perhaps, like we have a lot of old family members that are like drinking all the time or still dancing, eating meat, and they don't care. A lot of them were like, I saw them smoking until like <laughs> 70, 80 years old, and they didn't give a shit. The consequences sometimes are terrible. I feel like, I mean, there's obviously a scam or not necessarily a scam. I don't know. It's, I don't like using that words. People get like all weird about it. But obviously the, the motivation of these wellness companies is not your wellness, it's their money. And somehow people hope for it. And it's very interesting. I like a fancy spa, I guess, every now and then. But there's people that like are actually like used to spending like a significant amount of their money and tying kind of like their happiness to this to a point where sometimes they get anxious if they don't get enough massages a month or something like that. And then it doesn't become like a tool to become happy. It becomes an obsession. Of, you know, so. so let's talk about Techieta. You co-founded this organization. What was the motivation behind it? When I was living in San Francisco, you know, I was working in tech. I had been living there for a couple of years. 
And I realized I didn't have really Latino friends. So I started getting like more kind of like nostalgia for being back home and speaking Spanish and kind of like my friends. I know, uh, yeah, no, I was talking to other friends in this co-working space where I was at, and that was kind of like the motivation. Like, wow, we don't have a lot of Latino friends that work in tech. And there's like a lot of organizations out there, like Women Who Code. There was like a few others for like, I think Code 2040 and others that existed, but nothing that existed kind of for Latinos and nothing that existed as like a participatory community that is the type of community that I like. And we decided to go for it. Uh, kind of like get a meetup account and uh, post one event and see and see where it will take us. And it grew very, I don't know if it's slowly, I don't know what rate things are. It grew slowly in like tech terms, because people in tech, they want to have 10,000 users their first 20 hours or whatever. <laughs> we had like one person come to our first event, 10 people came to our second event. I think 50 people came towards fourth event. You know, it's like a kind of slow growth. We opened our first chapter in a second city after one year. And everything has been kind of like slow but intentional. I mean, I don't think slow. I think it's like a perfect rate, but, but I guess slow compared to like tech numbers. Who are you competing against? Exactly. We just want to, our intention or, or my intention has always been that the community only exists for itself and has to protect itself. If you grow too fast, then you lose that culture. Like it's impossible to grow too quickly and maintain a culture. And growing kind of like at a steady rate with lots of volunteers and lots of participation and lots of events and speakers and everybody that is in the community attends the community. People help each other look at the resumes. People uh, help each other practice for interviews. They recommend other members for the community for jobs. So, so it creates this like active community where people feel kind of like more connected and more empowered to help one another. And that cannot be created too quickly. Yeah. What is sort of like a typical kind of meetup look like? And have you been able to do something just kind of giving COVID and all that? Are you kicking those back in the gear again? So here in New York, we mostly have been doing happy hours. There are other volunteers and other teams that are doing kind of like online events and recruiting events and, and speaker series and all of that. So I figure that it wasn't so important right now to focus on that. Most of the people that you talk to sometimes, a lot of what they're feeling, kind of like what they're seeking right now, is just like community and friendship and companionship, especially, you know, people that are new to tech that are trying to transition into it because they just went to a boot camp or uh, they just graduated college or they just started their first tech job after working in a different industry or they just moved to New York. A lot of them, they don't necessarily need a panel right now talking about how hard it is to be in tech. They just want to meet other people get a beer, make a friend, change numbers and start going out together on their own. I mean, our happy hours, there's like couples that have come out of it, roommates, co-founders, employees. So I've been kind of like mostly focusing on that, just in happy hours and social events. We're doing a, a little picnic soon now that the weather is getting better. And yeah, that's kind of like what I've been focusing on. And we've been getting very um, good kind of reviews. Yeah. People keep coming and they keep bringing their friends and, uh, and they keep getting excited about it. So to us, that's very um, rewarding. It's the reason why we do it. Yeah. I mean, that's all that matters. You could probably see yourself and some of the new people that have come on board too, right? Yeah. It's been very interesting because a lot of, um, I mean, I believe there's a lot of things that a community asks for you, but one of the things that the community asks for you is that it can save you a lot of time. If somebody has gone through a similar thing that you went through, and it can help you spot a red flag earlier. It can save you not only potentially the amount of time that you end up in that situation, but also all the amount that it takes to recover from that later. 
So I feel like it's it's great sometimes when you feel, especially when you talk to younger people, because I, I don't know, I'm 33, I'm going to be 34 soon, and I, I never felt like an adult. And sometimes there's people that are like 21 or 22, and they're like, they look up to you like you're like so wise or whatever. <laughs> and it's cute. It's interesting having to come up with like, you know, like ideas. When people ask you for ideas or advice, it kind of helps you think about your own narrative and your own ideas. And it allows you to like reinterpret what has happened to you kind of sometimes close in circles. So, so I feel like all those interactions are great. And definitely you see yourself in some of the younger people that, that come sometimes. And especially the ones that want to... Um, because there's a lot of people that, you know, they just come and they just kind of like whatever, sell their pitch, their business and buy a beer and leave and whatever. But there's other people that they really care about the community. They come, they participate, they want to get more involved. They want to kind of like really engage with other people and, and they find people to mentor or they find people to collaborate with or they find people to do business with or, you know, replace their vendors and stuff like that. So I feel like really being able to foster that sense of community and people helping each other is fantastic because I imagine it's the same for them. Like there's a lot of people that find people they can really, really relate to. And they feel that it's so unique to be able to find somebody like in billions of people exist in the world that matches their particular circumstances. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. It's wild when somebody's from like your same town or something like that. Yeah. Because it's like, it's like, how did you like came from like this random little town and to this city and we happen to be on the same meetup and then people get excited about stuff like that. And it's very nice being able to like facilitate those interactions. Yeah. So how can folks connect on the community and for any of these events? Are there any sort of links that they can check out? In our website, like thekidia.org, there should be links to join the newsletter on the Slack. And we also are on Twitter, Instagram and stuff like that. So Googling it is probably the easiest because it's hard to spell. And Google will like how to correct. Otherwise, also I'm very fine online on Twitter or Instagram and stuff like that. I should reply to message requests or I'm easy to find on the Slack or Discord or stuff like that. We'll include the links for the listeners in the show notes as well. We're always encouraging two members in other cities or if there's like current or aspiring members in the listeners. I always like to encourage people to uh, start or run your own project. Sometimes if you feel like there's something that you would like to see that doesn't exist yet, maybe your city doesn't have a chapter yet, or you would like to see some sessions where people are discussing yoga more often or cooking or whatever. <laughs> the idea of the community is to encourage and empower each one of you to like do stuff for yourselves. Just want to put that out there. Awesome. Do you have any last few words to listeners before we end the show? I guess I wanted to say that your community exists out there. Your tribe exists out there. I used to feel like I will never find a group of people that will understand me and that I will always have to mask or lie or somehow, you know, kind of like conceal something or another. But I finally, last year, I found a group of people that I absolutely love and they love me back. And we're creating art together and we're doing a lot of interesting things. And it's been like fascinating and it has rolled that's, kind of like new energy rolls into a lot of other aspects of your life. So I, I just kind of like want to encourage, you know, everybody to find your community. And if you don't see one that you like, then start one. It's kind of like super easy to start communities. And if you need help, ask me. I'm happy to help. Don't listen to the community marketing people because I don't like what they're doing. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your story and learning more about your passions and obviously I really appreciate us talking about community and the importance of that. Thank you so much. Yeah, this was super enjoyable and I uh, really appreciate your invitation and thanks for having me on the bird. <laughs> What's the bird's name? Forgot. 
<laughs> what if I ask the owner, he's gonna get mad at me. I forgot. Uh, well, that bird's gonna be famous, but we don't know the name of the bird. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go. All right. Thank you.